Today's episode is brought to you by the U.S. Bank Altitude Go Visa Signature Card. To learn more, visit usbank.com slash altitude go. Today's episode is brought to you by Wise, the account that helps you manage your money around the world, which is huge for travelers. I've been a customer and a fan for 10 years. The Wise account helps you send, spend, and receive in different currencies fast, and they do it all without hidden fees or exchange rate markups. This service has been so critical for me in my life as a traveler, as a nomad, as somebody living abroad, and you can join 16 million customers and learn how the Wise account can help you out on the road at wise.com slash travel. That's wise, W-I-S-E dot com slash travel, or download the app. This episode of Zero to Travel is brought to you by the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder with seven drive modes. The Pathfinder's available intelligent 4x4 is built for even the most epic journeys. Learn more at NissanUSA.com. What happens when you realize you don't want your career anymore or you don't want to use the degree you just spent four years getting? You'd rather travel and do something else. My guests today share what happened to them. And we'll also give you some perspectives around that so you can have some options if you're in that situation. Plus, how much do words of encouragement matter when it comes to accomplishing your travel dreams or any dreams for that matter? I share one story from a famous musician that paints the picture pretty well. I think I have to agree with her. You're going to hear that in this episode and plenty more as we continue Travel Jobs Month on the show. Thanks for being here. and. Welcome to the Zero to Travel podcast, my friend. You're listening to the Zero to Travel podcast, where we explore exciting travel-based work, lifestyle, and business opportunities, helping you to achieve your wildest travel dreams. And now your host, world wanderer and travel junkie, Jason Moore. Hey there, it's Jason with ZeroToTravel.com. Welcome to the show, my friend. Thank you so much for hanging out, spending a little time with me here today, letting me bring a little travel into your ears. This is the show to help you travel the world on your terms, to fill your life with as much travel as you desire, no matter what your situation or experience. We all love travel here, and welcome to this global community, the Zero to Travel Caravan, this worldwide listening community. You're a part of it. I'm sure you can feel the vibes through your headset or your computer or wherever you're listening right now. And thanks for being here. If it's your first time listening, feel free to subscribe and join us. And we got a bunch of episodes in the archives to help you travel the world in a way that also matches your personality right now. What are you interested in? How do you want to travel? Do you want to do it full time? Do you want to do it long term? Do you want to take mini vacations, just squeezing as much as you can on your breaks? This podcast has you covered. And I got to do something really fun the other day. I've been taking a little downtime for myself lately, intentionally, just kind of kicking back, relaxing, enjoying this nice Norwegian summer weather we've been having, which if you've ever been to Norway, you know, the weather can be a finicky friend, (laughs) to say the least, especially in the summer. You don't know, you could get three weeks of rain and, and not see the sun for a month or whatever. So, Yes, we've had many sunny days here in Oslo where I'm based and decided to continue one of the challenges I posed to you a few episodes back to be a tourist in your own town, something I love to do. And when you have that intention, when you go out the door, you get that travel vibe. And I was going to do something with one of these sunny days. I said, I want to check out a beach. I haven't actually 
taking a swim in the ocean here in Oslo yet. And there are some beaches around here. I wanted to go swimming in the Oslo Fjord. And I love human-powered adventures. And I love that feeling of being on an adventure, even if you're out somewhere near your home. And I thought going for a bike ride would be a great way to do it. But I don't have a bike right now. But I do have a bike, a rack full of bikes accessible to me because they have a wonderful bike share program. It's one of those city bike share deals. I said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to join this bike share program and hop on this bike and take a pedal to the beach. <laughs> it was an awesome experience. Downloaded this app, paid my yearly fee and went to the bike rack, unlocked a bike and pedaled all the way out to the beach. And I had a wonderful day out there during the week by myself, went for a swim, paddled back, and was home in time for dinner. It was just a really cool feeling to be able to hop on the bike and have a little adventure and be out seeing a place that I live, but I'm not familiar with from the seat of a bicycle. And there's nothing sweeter to me than a little human-empowered adventure like that, whether it's a long walk or a bike ride or something that leads to some destination you haven't been before. It's a really fun thing to do. I highly recommend it. And it got me thinking about the sharing aspect of this bike share program and how easy it was to just go out and hop on a bike and have this adventure. And we don't own a car, so we use public transportation. My wife works for the company that runs the public transportation here in Oslo. So we're fortunate we get free public transportation. And I don't mind waiting for buses and things. Occasionally, when I get into a car, I miss road tripping. I miss being able to hop in my own car, throw my stuff in there and just go wherever. But the simplicity of using public transportation and not having to maintain a car or hopping on the bike share and not having to maintain a bike And any type of transportation that involves grouping people together, there's something about it that makes me feel good. I feel like I'm making less of an impact. I feel, I just feel good when I do it. I can't explain it. It also complements my feelings around minimalism and just owning less and having a more simple life. I guess it's a way to take the minimalism I experienced on the road for so many years when I just only had a backpack or a suitcase and and like I had very few possessions with me at the time and everything I owned was basically with me. And now that I live somewhere, I've got more things and we got an apartment. So being able to utilize some of these things gives me that feeling of freedom, of lightness, and it's just one less thing to deal with in my daily life. I don't have to worry about getting winter tires on a car, for example, and, and all of the things that the bills and the expenses that come with that. And after many, many years of travel, I often wonder, and the reason why I'm bringing this up is because it's just something to think about. I think as travelers, we all create a lot of environmental waste, right? We can't help it. Even if we're traveling with few possessions, getting on planes and all that good stuff involves emissions and some environmental destruction. And if you travel for many, many years and you take many flights, of course, we're all a part of that. And I have a little traveler's guilt when it comes to that. I don't know about you. So when I do these things at home, I guess I feel like I'm making up for it a little bit in some way. And anyway, the conclusion to all this is a little reminder for all of us that every little bit counts. And my hope is that the 
impact we make as humans and how travel changes us, how we can take those perspectives we learn from traveling and make the world a better place. I like to think that the goodness that comes out of travel offsets the environmental damage done by our traveling. I hope that is the case. I like to think that is the case when you take a look at the bigger picture. Wondering your thoughts around this, you can get in touch with me anytime. Either way, when we can use public transportation or ride a bike or do different things like this, every little bit counts and we can feel good about that. doesn't mean we have to do it all the time. Most of us aren't going to do it all the time. I know I've interviewed many people that have biked all over the place and not everybody's interested in doing that and everybody has their own travel agenda, but it's great when we can all be mindful and do a little something. Every little bit counts. That is the important point I wanted to make today and a gentle reminder for all of us travelers that every little bit counts and we can all do a little bit each and every day. Let's do that. Let's do that zero to travel community. (laughs) Okay, speaking of every little bit counting, that's true for many things, right? If you're working towards some kind of travel dream, right? Every little bit counts, getting rid of some stuff or making some decisions to structure your life around this upcoming trip that you have or recreating yourself in some way so you can travel long-term or full-time. And every little bit counts. Every little step you make, little interactions, Little things add up to big things and often unexpected things, things that would never have happened if we didn't do those little bits in that exact order. My guests today share their story, how their little bits added up to what they're doing today and how jobs that paid under 10 bucks an hour changed their lives forever in the best way possible. And how do you take a job like that? to build your life around travel when you're in a career or you have a really expensive degree and you have that weight on your shoulders, they're going to share their story. And I'm sure you're going to get some new perspectives and tips around that. Plus plenty around these types of seasonal jobs as we continue the travel jobs month here on the podcast. Before we get into that interview, two things. First, stick around to the end of the show. I'm going to share a little story about words of encouragement and why it's important to surround yourself with the right people, why it's important to offer encouragement to others, more important than we probably think. And this story from a famous musical artist I've been listening to quite a lot lately drives that point home, so stick around for that. And last thing, if you want to change your travel experiences in the best way possible forever, I think one of the best ways to do that is to learn the language of the place That you're visiting, or at least learn some of the language. And the best way to do that is by going to zero to travel.com slash easy and getting a free trial for the Pimsleur language learning audio courses. They are supporting today's show. And why? Because I'm a huge fan of their product. Not only can you learn a language on the go, but you start speaking right away with the Pimsleur courses. And the Pimsleur method is unique in that it's not just somebody talking to you and you try to memorize a bunch of stuff. There's an actual method behind these audio courses and the way they're structured. So if you're like me and you struggle to remember words when you're learning a language, this is what I fell in love with with Pimsleur is they somehow know to bring these words back into the conversation just as soon as you start forgetting them. It's almost eerie how perfect the timing is and it allows you to advance quickly. So it's 
just hands down my favorite way to learn a language on the go specifically because again you can take it with you anywhere zero to travel.com slash easy if you're based in the states you'll get a free seven-day trial to their monthly subscription service which is an incredible deal even if you're outside of the states right now you can grab a free lesson just by going through that link and by doing that you'll also be supporting the show and i want to thank you for that so if you're wanting to learn a language or level up the language you are learning right now it's a no-brainer. Zero to travel.com slash easy. Go through that link. Check out the Pimsleur courses. Give them a try. I am sure you're going to love them. And it's no risk, really, because you get the free trial if you're based in the States or you get the free lessons. So try it out. Let me know what you think. Thanks to Pimsleur for supporting today's show. Now, let's slide into today's interview. I will see you on the other side, my friend. My guests today are the owners of CoolWorks.com, where you can find seasonal jobs in great places, everything from national parks to ski resorts, retreat centers, and more. They're here to talk about how to build your travels around seasonal work, some of those great places that can help people land gigs, and much more. Matt Moore and Kelsey Fowler, welcome to the Zero to Travel podcast, my friends. Hi, Jason. Thanks for having us. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, we were just chatting a little bit before the call. You guys, I know, in, are in Colorado, which is, uh, as I was mentioning, a, a place I miss very much, and I see the sun shining in the background, so you're making me a little jealous there. We're going to get into some amazing places that we're going to talk about today, and we might, you know, warning, you know, by the end of this episode, you might be ready to, like hop in your car, jump in a plane or something and start working some random job somewhere. <laughs> I'm not sure where I'm looking at you guys right now. Are you at home or are you in your office or or what's up? Both. We work okay. from home. <laughs> you guys work from home. And uh, I, I mean, I have to ask, are you, are you guys a couple or are you friends or what's the story here? We're a couple. We were friends first. We're business partners. We actually met working a works job and that's how... We met one another. I was um, a HR manager for a lodge in Grand Teton National Park. And at the time, I used CoolWorks to hire my summer staff. And I hired this nice young fellow from North Carolina to come out and be an accounting assistant. And we were just best friends for years and years and years. And then and then all of a sudden, we realized we were life partners, too. So wild things can happen when you take a <laughs> job. This I'm, I'm guessing this isn't the first CoolWorks connection that's been made in this way. Yeah, we can't claim this yet, but I think that there's probably hundreds of marriages and babies and all sorts of beautiful <laughs> unions that have come up over the years from people meeting in great places on great adventures. Yeah, it's been around since 1995, so there's bound to be a a, a growing generation of CoolWorks kids out there. You know I have to dig into this a little bit more. <laughs> now, hold on. I, I want to hear what kind of both you guys were thinking at first. I don't know how you are supposed to know when you've met your soulmate. But it was weird because as soon as I met him, I was definitely like, oh, whoa. You know, this person is super special was what my instant awareness was. And then for years, like I said, for years, we were just truly best friends. And we had one other friend. So the three of us were like the three musketeers and we're really close, did a lot of stuff together, but I was terrified. I didn't want to lose my best friend. You know what I mean? And I felt like it must be one-sided if he's never yeah. tried to make a move or anything. Right. And so that went on for like 
oh gosh, like three years, <laughs> wow. probably. And I just figured he didn't like me back. So Matt, I, what were you waiting for, dude? <laughs> <laughs> I just had to wait for the right moment. You know, you'll once you get into seasonal work, you'll find that many relationships come out of that, and the timing was just never quite right. She had she had her she had her flings, I had mine. <laughs> We both secretly wished that we had a fling with each other, but the timing <laughs> never worked out quite right. And then finally, after a couple of years, she uh, she decided she was ready to move on and try new things, and she she put her notice in, and I realized that this was the last opportunity. So, put my put my heart out there. And <laughs> yeah. So what? What? Tell me how you did that. Like, how did that go down? That's a fun story. Yeah. <laughs> well. <laughs> I I pretty much just spilled the beans one night. We ha- we were hanging out playing board games and clue. Yeah. And playing, how how playing long a- was this like before you were leaving? Uh it was September. It was I it was the harvest moon that night and we were late night we'd been hanging out with friends and then it was just ended up being just the two of us playing a game of clue. Um kind of plastered in the pan- in the, you know, study, <laughs> whatever. And so it was September, so I think I was due to be finished that November, but I had ended up, I was going to end up being around for a few more w- months to train the gal taking over for me. So it was close. Yeah. Yeah. We're cutting it close to the wire. The minute. All right. So what did you say? Like in between, like, is it the professor with the pipe and the <laughs> lounge or whatever? I don't even remember the, I don't even remember the game of clue. I think we weren't, we weren't really paying attention to that. And I, yeah, I think I pretty much just laid it all out there and said, you know, by the way, I'm been secretly in love with you for four years. And <laughs> I think, I think the first thing you said was like, oh my gosh, this means we've, we're going to have to get married now. Right? Like this is, <laughs> once you put something like that out there, we've been friends for so long. There's no going back from this. It's like, yeah, I think that's pretty much what, what the deal is now. So it was terrifying. And so people still ask us today all the time, like, are you guys married? And it kind of, we never kn- really know how to answer that because we didn't do the whole like big wedding thing. It's never been something that really called to us, you know, in the same way. But it kind of also feels like we got married over that clue board when we secretly confessed yeah. that we'd been carrying this flame for one another all those years. It's a weird thing I, I yeah it's hard to explain but if from that moment it's like well it's a done deal I was terrified because I was trying to grapple with I thought this was just one-sided for all this time and now I'm realizing I'm like done off the market <laughs> like <laughs> the search know, is ended. Very- you knew I was getting the chills by the way when you were telling that story Matt that was super sweet <laughs> and um then of course I was also visualizing like some dramatic pause and then you guys totally like hardcore make out like you know like they do in the movies but uh, i don't know how it went you don't have to you don't have to get into all of it but um there was a little bit of that but uh, to be honest i couldn't look at them because i was freaking out at the same time i was like and then and all of that with the tetons in the backdrop i don't know if you've ever Yes. seen them in real life but oh yeah it's the perfect setting for a love story <laughs> full moon wolves are howling you know the whole nine <laughs> yards beautiful that's so what, more, what more reason do you need than to check out seasonal jobs yeah. Than that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah you might even find love that's great when you guys got into seasonal work and then you can each share your respective stories was there like a grand plan to like hey i'm going to travel and i'm going to do this thing or was it just more like a hey, I'm just going to go on this adventure and then get a real job after? Or was it like, I'm just going to go and see what happens? What was your mindset when you got into it? 
I can say for me, it was a little bit of all of those things. I, I was just graduating from school. I, I went to business school and kind of got a little disillusioned during the process. It was one of the, you know, I'm sure a lot of people can relate to the experience of going to school, not really knowing what it is you're wanting to do or why you're even in school. You're just kind of doing it because that felt like the next logical step after high school is yes. to continue your education. Totally. So, I mean, I changed, I changed majors like four times and finally had to settle on something. So I chose business thinking, you know, it was well-rounded, probably a lot of opportunities with a general degree like that. But as I went through it, I was kind of jaded. I, you know, a lot of my um, peers were really, you know, they wanted to get into finance and banking and consulting and stuff like that. And, you know, that's all fine, but none of it really called to me. Like I wasn't really like, oh yeah, that's definitely what I want to do. Um, so I got to graduation and finished up and was like, I don't really want to pursue any of these traditional opportunities. So I started looking around. I had done very little traveling growing up. I'd been out to Colorado a couple times from North Carolina for like family ski trips. Um, but I had never driven east of the or west of the Mississippi before. That was really the only other part of the country I'd really seen before was Colorado. And I loved it, had great memories of it. And like, you know what, I want to take this opportunity to see if I can find a job out there, see if I can explore and, you know, go experience more of the country. So I started looking around for jobs in Colorado randomly. Nothing was really panning out. And then I just stumbled across Coolworks through my school's like career resources page. It was way buried down in the bottom <laughs> under like alternative jobs or something like that. And then I opened it up and there was a picture of the Tetons right on the home screen and the, some lodge was hiring there. And I was like, holy crap, like I'd, I'd never seen these mounds before. I didn't know they existed in the United States. I don't think I was even quite sure where Wyoming was. But I was like, that place looks amazing. I want to go there. So I just put in an application and maybe two days later, I got a phone call from Kelsey here telling me more about the job and your future interviewed soulmate. With that's right. That's right. Yep. <laughs> Destiny was calling. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so, I mean, I, I don't think I'd even told my parents. I think I told my parents that I was maybe interested in moving out west or something like that, but not that I was applying for jobs actively and maybe going to move to Wyoming. Um, so I, she called. I talked to the person who would end up being my supervisor for a little interview. I think I accepted the job pretty much that same day. It was a $9 an hour seasonal accounting clerk position. So counting money at a desk all summer. Um, so probably not exactly what my parents had in mind for my business education that I had just gone through, but, um, they, they were supportive. They trusted me and, um, it was just supposed to be a six month thing. Like I had no, I remember when I talked to Kelsey and, um, the fellow who was going to, that I interviewed with, and asking them, because it was February or March at this time, and they were in the Tetons, they were at the lodge living in the park in the winter. And I was like, that is just so cool. Like how many people are there? And they're like, oh, there's like 12 of us here. And <laughs> we're the only people around for 50 miles or something. And to me, that sounded amazing. Like that may not be everyone's fatigue, but I was like, that is so cool. Um, so in the back of my mind, I was thinking, if something like that, if an opportunity like that came up, I would definitely take it. Like that wasn't on the table yet. It was just a six month deal. And I was thinking maybe after that I'll travel and, you know, go work at a ski resort for the winter or just kind of see how long I can float around out West for. Um, but it turned out the, the position I was in a year round position opened up that summer and I ended up never leaving and it's been in five years there. And <laughs> did you have any mental battles around that like hey i just spent all this money in this college education and now 
my parents are going to be disappointed or anything like that. I guess I'm just trying to get some advice for others who might be considering all of those fears that will go through the Western mindset, you know? Yeah, sure. Truthfully, I didn't. I didn't have that sort of, I mean, I didn't really know what was going to happen. I wasn't entirely sure, like, am I going to be out there for six months and come back home? Am I, is this going to be like the rest of my life? I don't think I was thinking quite that far ahead, but I definitely was tuned into the possibility of it at that point. I was thinking, you know, because sure it was $9 an hour, but I also knew that I'd have almost no cost of living expenses. I was very, very fortunate in that I came out of school with no debt. So I didn't have student loan or anything like that, which I know that I'm incredibly fortunate to be in that situation. Um, but the, the living conditions that came with the seasonal job really allowed me to consider like, okay, I'm not going to be making a ton of money, but I'm not really going to have a lot of expenses here either. And then once I actually got to the property and I started meeting people that had been doing it for years and years, then it really, the light bulb really came on. It's like, wow, this is something that people already are doing. Like, this isn't like an original idea for me or anything. Like this isn't all just kids that just came out of college and are planning on being here for six months and then going back to the real world. Like this is their real world. Um, so I, the, the idea was already there for me. Um, I don't, I hadn't, I hadn't made a plan to go out for years, but I was open to the possibility before I left and thinking that this, this could very well turn into the rest of my life. And, um, yeah, my, yeah I was very fortunate that my folks were supportive. I remember when I left North Carolina, I was leaving my driveway and my mom bursting into tears and later <laughs> telling me, she's like, I knew that you weren't coming home. She's right. like, I knew that you were, that you were gone. You were, you were leaving for good. Oh man. So. Those moms, can, can, <laughs> they've been known to burst into tears a time or two. <laughs> Another cool part about your story is, you know, he was coming out of like a pretty prestigious East Coast school with this business degree. His coworkers are his yeah, sorry, his classmates are going to go work on Wall Street or be like bankers or like big, you know, big dudes making big salaries and playing big games. I think that what I really like about your story is that you realized that that wasn't what you wanted necessarily for your life or what you wanted to contribute to the world. And so I think that that's something that a lot of us can identify, just like not really feeling right about maybe traditional career paths or traditional life plans or the mortgage or the cubicle job or whatever it may be. Like if, you know, if we're all going along on our path and we think what we're supposed to do is graduate from high school, get a, a bachelor's degree, maybe a master's, and then find some job to work at for the next 40 years. Like it's so exciting that you don't have to do that. There are so many alternatives out there where you can make your life about travel. You can make your life about living in amazing places, meeting am amazing people, creating amazing artwork. And you can not only survive, but I think that there's an argument to be made that you can thrive doing that because even though it is the $9 per hour job, you're not commuting 45 minutes each way. To, you're not paying to get to work every day. You know, you're not maintaining the wear and tear on your vehicle. You're not, there's so many co incredible costs of living that come along with just living more of a conventional lifestyle um, that seasonal jobs can really offer a lot of opportunity to live an experience rich lifestyle, but one where you can also like legitimately save some money. Yeah. Um, I, I love that. Kelsey, 
how did it go down for you? Because you were sound like you were in construction, and were you like thinking about pursuing a more traditional career path? Were you struggling with doing this sort of different path? How did that work for you? Yeah, I was struggling is the perfect word. Okay, certainly <laughs> <laughs> as a young adult, late teenager, I just struggled as a a teenager. I construction was the family business, so I was you know I had the amazing opportunity to like buy a piece of land and build a couple spec houses at 18, 19 year old, like be a general contractor and hire the plumber and hire the electrician. (laughs) It was pretty, it was pretty badass. And I have my dad to thank. I mean, he definitely pushed for me to do that. Um, and it was an incredible experience, especially at 18 years old. I was doing that in summers in between school. So I only had a little bit of savings that my parents were able to set aside for me to go to college. I only had about a year and a half's worth of money. So the building house thing was something my dad thought maybe I can help her do this because that's his trade. He's been you know, doing it for years. And then that could be a way for her to put herself through school, you know, raise the money to do that. Um, So I was kind of bouncing around between going to school in Durango, Colorado, and then I'd come back home during the summers and try and build a spec house. Um, But (laughs) just a random summer, you know, spec house. (laughs) It's like pretty cool house together. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Gosh, I I feel so lazy now in my summers when I look back. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, I was I was terribly lazy while doing it. Don't let me fool you at all. I was your total typical eighteen year old brat face. But um, so I got I came to like this crossroads where I pretty much was I didn't have a piggy bank in my pocket. Like I maybe I'd gotten the house built, but it hadn't been sold yet, so I hadn't gotten that payday. I'd run out of. Um, I used up the funds I had. So I was kind of in this position of like, one, do I really, is college where I want to be? Do I know what I want to spend the next three to four years chasing, pursuing? Do I know myself enough for that? And if I do, am I prepared to go into debt? Like, am I prepared to take on loans? Those are smart questions that most people don't ask themselves kudos to you for like even stepping back and asking yourself those questions. <laughs> I don't know if I like phrased them that maturely right. at the time. <laughs> it was more like, <laughs> was just, I don't know about this college thing. <laughs> this is lame. <laughs> <laughs> it might have been something like that. But I mean, that's, those are the components that I was facing. Like I was, I'm very new at being an adult. It was, you know, it was going to be on me though. I didn't, I wasn't, you know, Matt was super lucky. His parents were able to just put them through school. And that's amazing. But for young folks that don't have that opportunity, like I think now, especially now, and this, this was 10, you know, 10 years ago when I was facing these questions, but now it's even more serious, you know, with the student loan crisis that's like going on and affecting people our age. So I think it's really important to stress, like take a minute to just ask yourself those questions and I was, that's something that I really am passionate about doing with CoolWorks is pushing for that gap year, pushing for, you know, take some time off after high school to like look around and figure out who you are and have an adult experience and live on your own and 
these jobs are so fantastic because they provide a lot of cushioning to let you do that. But anyway, I so I was at that T. So I left school. Um, I kind of floated around here in the Denver area for about a year. This is where I'd grown up. Went to a lot of concerts, you know, lived like a 21-year-old does when they first turn 21. And then just realized if I sit around and do this, I'm, I'm just going to be stagnant. I'm going to be in one place. I'm going to still be hanging out with all my friends from high school. And is that really the future I want? So I have a cousin who had worked on like a dude ranch in Montana. And so I knew that this sort of weird, interesting job opportunity was a thing because she had done this. And she was at that time, she was living in Jackson Hole, Wyoming. She had gotten a job there. And so we went up to spend a Christmas up there. Um, My dad and his sister and cousins, just like a little family Christmas in the Tetons. And they got me like they do so many. Again, like Wyoming's the next state over from Colorado. I was born and grew up here. And I had no idea that a valley like that, that a place like that existed. I'd never really learned a lot about our national parks in school. Maybe I just wasn't paying attention that day. I'm not saying it wasn't taught. But when I got there and I experienced this place, I was just really blown away. And so I asked my cousin how she had worked on her dude ranch in Montana. And she told me about cool works, or maybe I started Googling cool summer jobs. Um, So I used cool works really similar story, got on there and started looking around, was looking for that area because I knew I'd have a family member close by. And I was a big scaredy cat when contemplating doing this. I was so terrified to do something like this on my own, Um, but got a front desk job that paid $7.50 an hour. So I've even got you beat there. (laughs) Um, And it was a six month gig, similar like May through October, drove up there eight hours. And you would have thought I was like sailing to the new world, you know, not sure if the globe would be round or a square or something like I was so (laughs) scared. I cannot even tell you. I got there and like was going to eat graham crackers in my dorm room because I was just petrified. It takes a lot of courage to like saddle up and go out into the world and do something on your own. But I did it. And I think taking that first step of taking that front desk job opened up so many doors for me to continue to stretch and push myself in the way of travel, in the way of seeing the world, in the way of being willing to try stuff. You know, once you take that kind of first step and learn that you don't die, you're exceedingly, you know, more sure that you can do other things like that. So I loved working at the front desk. It was the funnest job I've ever had. At the end of the summer, a similar thing happened to me, which is that the management of the lodge approached me about a year-round human resources assistant position. Um, So I was very, very lucky that the first seasonal job I ever took at the end of that season became a full-time opportunity to live and work in Grand Teton National Park and get all of the benefits that come along with that. But my plan also at the end of the summer was going to be to go to the San Juan Islands or Southern Arizona. I was looking at like, okay, what, what can I do next? How can I keep this going? Because it really is a seasonal job is, has a lot of the best things about traveling. You know, you get to meet incredible people. You get to be 
in incredible places. Then you get to do it for an extended period. So I was definitely had a taste for it at that point. How hard is it to keep things going? Is it hard to keep finding new gigs and all that? Or is that an overblown fear? It's incredibly easy, which especially, especially now. So the seasonal world can change depending just like any job market can change based on, you know, depending on what's going on with the economy. So back in 2008, 2009, when all of um, that stuff happened, jobs were harder to come by. And that would be true in a traditional setting as well as it was more competitive in a seasonal world. Um, But no, especially now, but I think overall in general, seasonal work is such an easy and great option. Like Matt was talking about how quickly I hired him. And it's, that's a common thing that you'll hear is I applied, I got a call a few days later from the Grand Canyon and I bought a plane ticket. Like it's great for not only if you're going from seasonal job to seasonal job, but say you just got back from three months in Southeast Asia, or you're kind of plopping back down from some other great adventure. It's like, it's always there and it's pretty darn easy to just kind of click in and grab and go. If you're willing to be flexible, you know, it's, there's trade-offs. Like it's not incredibly easy to do with a dog or kids or a lot of worldly possessions, you know, a U-Haul trailer full of junk, like none of those things um, make it easy to just grab and go. But if you've got that traveler kind of lifestyle, they're really accessible. Absolutely. And another thing to consider is when you sign up to do a seasonal job, you're immediately going to be joining a community of other people who are doing it and are going to be in the exact same situation that you are in that this is a job that only lasts for six months and something has to come after that. And as I kind of mentioned earlier with my experience, like I didn't really know what my long-term plans were. I was a little bit nervous, but um, it was really the experience that I was after. And once I got there, I had 160 coworkers who were all in the same boat as me and that they were also doing seasonal jobs. And you start talking to your coworkers and you learn like, okay, this guy's been doing this for 15 years and he has everything he needs in life and he's lived all over the country and he goes internationally every spring, things like that. And okay, over here's a group of college students and they're only going to do this once and they're going to go back to school and this will be their only seasonal job. And everything in between, you know, people who are doing this in their retirement, people who are doing this as a second half of their life career. Like the, you're, you're just going to meet people that are, they're going to have their plans for what they're doing and you're going to learn from them and get ideas for like, oh, wow, okay, so I could go work in Alaska next summer or a ski resort this winter or become a year-round manager and this will be my job for the next six years. So, <laughs> so many doors open though. If you're yeah. really like, if you can settle that fear or reckon with it enough to kind of like, take the jump. Once you've done that, once you've jumped into the pool, so to speak, opportunities bloom and flourish in all directions. There's so many doors that can open. Other seasonal jobs, moving up the ladder, you know, like we did, we both got careers out of this that we never anticipated or just meeting people, networking, you know, someone could walk into your restaurant when you're waiting on them and offer you a position to come work with them. It's just like things open up, like we've been saying, and are plentiful. How hard is the initial job to get? I'm looking on your site right now. Okay, I went on to 
what's new and there's a ranch job in Montana and a tour company thing in Alaska and a hotel in Michigan. But just what can give people a leg up essentially? Best practices and all. I did the hiring for this lodge for that we met at for several years. So I've been in the HR manager's shoes. And we also Quarks sponsors a conference every fall for seasonal HR managers where we get together with a bunch of folks for hire that hire for these different places and just spend three or four days decompressing and having workshops and hearing from them and continuing it and all sorts of good stuff. So there are definitely some things that we hear a lot that are really simple that can help give you a leg up. So the first thing that's important to specify is that they're all different employers. They're all different companies. Some might be really big corporations with properties all over the place. Some might be run by a third generation cattle rancher who definitely doesn't have an HR department or a very formal process. You know what I mean? So there is like a very wide range of processes that a job seeker would run into. One might go fill out an application and it might be 18 steps and one might just ask you to send in your resume. It's very diverse, but what's important is always, I think to cast a wide net. So it's absolutely okay to get your heart set on your favorite and you should do that, but make sure that you throw a couple of lines out there and you apply to a couple of different places just because it actually makes you better at applying when you use that muscle a little bit, you know, um, and there's things that you can do. I always suggest to people like save a word document with all of your previous employment history, professional references, names, phone numbers, addresses, email addresses, like all of that content, save it. So you can open it and just kind of copy and paste into these employment applications because they can be long and they can take 45 minutes to an hour to fill one out. So there are little hacks you can do to make the process less cumbersome. Uh, but definitely apply to a couple of places. Take the time to make sure that you're submitting a complete app with correct spelling, grammar, punctuation. This drives people crazy. And I am the first one to say, like, I can't spell to save my life. It's not something that is important to me. And all I think with smartphones and just our technology nowadays, a lot of people are applying with their thumbs on their phones because it's easy. Um, but that translates, that system can translate to your application sometimes coming through looking sloppy, looking incomplete, auto-filled words or whatever it may be. And that stuff drives a lot of hiring managers crazy. Oh, yeah. Like, that's how it reads to them. And from the flip side, as someone who doesn't spell, like I understand you're on your phone and you are trying, I'm telling you, apply to multiple places. So you're trying to get a lot of applications out there. So it's, but yeah, taking the time to do that, to make sure your application is complete, that you're answering questions sincerely. And I think what's really important is to try and show them a piece of who you actually are not try and come across as the world's best applicant because the majority of these employers are expecting and looking for more entry level applicants. They don't, they're not looking for brain surgeons and they're not looking for lawyers. Like they just want someone who is 
passionate, has a great work ethic, and is going to be fun and enjoyable to be around because that's going to lift up everyone else that's working together this summer. So if you can let that shine and really express why are you passionate about the idea of the Grand Canyon or life on a ranch? Why do you want to experience that? Even if you're applying to work for a big company, you know, I think that things are evolving in the world of HR and maybe maybe applying for jobs 10 or 15 years ago, we felt like we had to put ourselves into a certain box to be noticeable. Play like a, like I'm the, I'm the candidate like role. I'm going to be, you know, whatever. And they, I can't stand those interview questions when they ask you. It's so funny because I do these interviews, but I can't, I'm terrible at getting interviewed. I bombed so many interviews for jobs. Like I don't even know how I've gotten some of the jobs I've had, but they ask you those questions like, you know, tell me about a, your biggest weakness or whatever. And people always are like, I work too hard or something. And it's like all such <laughs> freaking BS, you know, <laughs> like too qualified, just right. be real. Where, where are you going to be in five years? Or, yeah. All of that like traditional. And that's where I think people can be, or at least I would encourage people to be more comfortable just being who you are, because Maybe, maybe that approach isn't going to get you a job offer from every place that you apply to, but I hope that it gets you a job offer from the place that you're meant to be and the organization that's going to appreciate you as an individual and want you to play a role in their culture. And that's the shift that's happening is that companies, organizations, we all are way more focused on culture and celebrating all of the different elements that make us a successful team now than maybe we were even 10 years ago, which is really exciting. It's, I mean, it's an exciting shift, but definitely putting some sincere piece out there. That's what always attracted me to job seekers when I was going through hundreds of applications. You know, it was the one who wrote a paragraph about how he was in a theater group and loved doing plays or, you know, went expressed his love for band camp and how he wanted to serenade the Tetons on his flute every morning. (laughs) Right. You're like, Oh, that guy gets it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You want cool people to come do this with you. So don't be afraid to show them why you're actually a cool person and not just a candidate. Matt, uh, as far as like times of year to, to apply, are there certain, can you just highlight maybe some of the, if we're going by the 80-20 rule, like the 80% of the jobs, like what what are the best times of year to apply for those? Yeah, absolutely. There's some some pretty um, standard rules of thumb there. So for if it's a summer employer, you know that a lot of the summer employers have seasons that might run from mid-April anywhere from late October or something like that. Um, so they generally are starting up their hiring as early as mid-December. Uh, but I would definitely say probably 80% of the applicant, if are doing an 80-20 thing, 80% of the applications would be in January and February. You know, that's the time when you really want to be looking at getting your applications off. I mean, even earlier is better, but that's that's just the, the general hiring time. That's when recruiters are really ramping up their efforts and looking to fill those positions for the summer. Um, and for the ski resorts, the winter seasons, the winter operations, these are not August. August is about the time they start really ramping up to, to begin their seasons because they're usually starting up mid to late November. Okay. Obviously, there's turnover and stuff like that. So 
if you go on the site year round, there's, there's still going to be things there, right? It's not just, yeah, it's kind of all year round. So don't get discouraged if like you're listening to this podcast and that's not that time of year. If you know, okay, hey, if I apply in December, like I can beat people to the punch or I can like apply the 2nd of January for summer things. It's just good to know that. Yeah, absolutely. There's never, there's never a time where, you know, if it's, if it's June and you just got fired from your lifeguard position at the local <laughs> country club and you're like, all right, forget this. I'm going to Wyoming. You'll probably find something like they're, they're absolutely yeah. right. There's always turnover. There's always positions available. Uh, but yeah, if you're really looking to, to have more variety and more of your selection, then those key times are, are ideal. Now, is everything geared towards jobs in the U.S. or do you have any overseas work on the site? We have a few limited international opportunities. Um, a lot of them are volunteer positions, so there usually isn't pay involved. Um, they come up every once in a while. The majority of the opportunities are domestic. And the, the main issue that we run into that we're, you know, lately we've been taking a look at trying to find ways to offer more of them. Uh, the biggest thing is visas. It's really, it's not easy to go work in another country legally. Um, there's a handful of countries where you can easily do that through a working holiday visa if you're under 30. So I think uh, Australia, New Zealand, and Ireland offer those. Um, but in general, it's just tricky. It's hard to, it's hard to go work overseas. So we haven't, we haven't built up a big international portion of our site, but we would really love to because we know that there's some fantastic opportunities abroad. We get some really cool ones occasionally. What usually works well is when an employer abroad says, I know I need an English, a fluent English speaker, then they are able to go to their government and um, get the visa, basically secure the visa because they have the job that has this need. And when that happens, they're able to come and post it on Quarks. And we've had some amazing jobs abroad. Like we've had kayaking guides in Norway. We've had hiking guides in the Swiss Alps. We've had, we had one time we had this like personal assistant job for a sailboat to cruise all around the world and like take <laughs> care of the dog. Whoever landed on CoolWorks like for that gig, right on. <laughs> so, so every once in a while we have these like incredible supernova international gigs that come along um, because, but because of that visa thing, it makes it hard. But what a lot of people do is they work seasonally and then travel internationally and raise their funds to do that in the gap seasons. Yeah, got it. Now, what about people that are not from the States and want to work in the States? Do you guys help with that process or how does that work for those people? We're not involved in that process. It's usually the employers that have to secure the visa. It's tricky. The The J-1 student visa program is something that a lot of employers take advantage of. Um, so it, it allows international students to come work in the United States for, you probably know, is it six months or? No, it's, it's a maximum of, I think, four or five months with a mandatory, like one month travel window. So the U.S. is offering this visa out to university students from around the world. And it's basically the the aim of the program is for them to do a cultural exchange and work on their English. So the idea is by coming and working here for a summer, they can do that. But they have a mandatory travel window built into that. So generally, those visas are only going to be available to university students. And it's a th usually they can work for three months. And it's harder once you've graduated, once you've aged out of school. Uh, there's an H-2B visa, 
but uh, that takes a lot more involvement. You basically have to have a U.S.-based employer sponsor to get one of those, and it's really challenging. So we get a lot of inquiries from folks abroad, and I always we we can give resources. We can point you to the State Department. We can tell you about where you can learn about the type of visas available. But it it's a little bit challenging. There's also one thing to mention for people listening from overseas is that if you can at all consider volunteering, that can be a window into coming and spending some time in the States, in our national parks, and in other places that can be more attainable if it's something that you can do because you don't necessarily have to have a work visa to do that. Like I lived in Iceland for a summer working for a nonprofit, but I was essentially volunteering. So I was allowed to live in Iceland for three months. So that's an avenue to look into. Okay, cool. What about couples? Like, have you seen couples apply to things? Is that a thing that you can do? Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we get that question frequently. Um, so yeah, couples apply all the time. And you know, generally, most of the, especially in the national parks, but most of the seasonal jobs that offer housing are usually able to offer a little bit of flexibility. I mean, obviously, if you're a couple, you both have to apply. Like you can't just like fill out one, you know, Mark and Lindsay applying for housekeeper positions. Like you both have to apply and you both have to be hired for the position. Um, but once that happens, most employers are usually able to accommodate by, you know, you get your own private room together or something like that. So that's the thing. And they'll either accommodate or they won't. There are still some places where it's like very strict male only dorm, very strict female only dorm, and a married couple or a couple traveling together is like, well, we're not going to go work there because. I want to be roommates with, you know, my spouse and not some random person. But there's lots out there that do have and can accommodate couples housing. So what are sort of the general things that a seasonal worker should expect to be given in terms of like perks or things that are included with the experience? That's a really important thing to be aware of and be paying attention to when you're applying because there's so much diversity in housing There are places in Alaska where you might go and you live in a tent cabin without running water for the summer and they have a shower house and a cooking cabin, you know, but like housing can range from a teepee to dorm style rooms to private cabins to trailers to houses where maybe you share a kitchen but have your own room or so there's so much literally everything that you can imagine almost could be an option out there. So pay close attention and know yourself, like know what you're going to be comfortable with or not um, when you're looking and applying because you don't want to get your heart set to taking the job or not and then finding out there's no way that I can live in a tent cabin because I'm really... Well, I mean, like, have you ever showed up or like, I'm sure people do where they're like, oh, no way, like this is, this was misrepresented (laughs) or like this ain't happening. I'm not into this. Yeah, I'm sure that happens. And that's something that, again, like you can save yourself the trouble of hopefully getting to that point if you're advocating for yourself and asking the right questions and being, you know, pretty upfront. And there are like there are forums out there. CoolWorks has a social network of over 11,000 people who are cool workers who have just been doing this. And so there are places you can go and say, hey, I'm thinking about this place. Anybody else work there? Is that on your website or where is that? Yeah, you can on the website. um, If you look for 
it's called it's called my coolworks so you can just go to my.coolworks.com and that's there's a link from it from the homepage called community right the community word is what folks would want to look for but it's really helpful to talk to other people a lot of diversity though uh, dorm style housing is really common that's what you're probably going to see the most is having at least one roommate um, sometimes the bathroom is in the room. Sometimes it's in the hall. Um, so very college-esque. A lot of the times when they offer housing, they're going to provide meals. You might be eating the same food the guests eat. You might have an employee dining room where there's a staff dedicated just to cooking for the employees. Or there could be anything in between as well. Some places do shift meals. It's all really really different. So that's why, again, it's important to pay attention to those details. But in most cases, some places, it's all included as part of your compensation. It's also really common for there to be a cost for room and board, which is deducted from your paycheck. Um, That's something that you'll see as well. But it's usually, I mean, when you factor in three meals a day and snacks and housing and cleaning supplies and toilet paper and all of that sort of stuff, it's still really affordable compared I have to ask, like, what are the sweetest gigs? What are like the best places (laughs) to work? I mean, can you guys answer that, or are you gonna have to like dance around this one? Or I mean, oh no, we could, we 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 definitely have our favorites. (laughs) I mean, we spend all the time looking at the site and like, oh my gosh, I would love to go do that. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I don't know. There's something different for everyone. You know, if it were me personally, there's been a couple of spots. I mean, the national parks are probably my favorite. I think if I could go tomorrow I'd probably go spend the summer in Yosemite like I think that would probably just be an absolutely amazing experience uh, but there's been some really cool places in Alaska that I've seen where you have to like fly in to Wrangell St. Elias National Park and you know there's no roads and they raise all their remote. own food Matt, yeah, I get a trend awesome. Matt likes to be like isolated from society right like it's just like <laughs> hey if it's in the middle of nowhere like count me in for that one <laughs> <laughs> yeah I think Kelsey would probably well, agree with that well not if you're going to Yosemite I don't know if you've been to Yosemite yeah well yeah no, that's true yeah <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah well, those, I think those would be my top picks I would yeah there's the ones that always I think me. the sweetest gigs align with what you're into so like I grew up riding horses and I've got this total I want to be a cowgirl fantasy and so I would want to like work on a dude ranch and take people on trail rides you know through the mountains and to all sorts of beautiful like ride horses for a living yes please I think like a summer camp job would be super cool hanging out with kids and being their heroes and like doing crafts all day um, I think that that would be a super sweet gig. So yeah, like what are, what's the coolest job or what's the coolest place to do the jobs? There's so many guide jobs out there. There are so many places where you can go get trained to be a rafting guide. Like you don't need to have that experience. You can sign up for their guide course and you do pay a little bit of money up to do it. I think it's like on average, generally about like 300 bucks to go through the training, but they provide you with all the gear they train you to be a rafting guide. And then at the end of it, if you know, you're competent, you get a job and you get to spend the summer rafting the Smokies or the Arkansas river or whatever it may be. So, or taking that experience all over the world. I can't, I've been on, we were in uh, New Zealand and we went on a rafting trip and this guy was from Wales and he had been a rafting guide there and he had been a rafting guide 
in the Grand Canyon and now he was in New Zealand. And actually, and I'm going to change my answer. I would go back to doing that because it seems like every rafting guide I've met is somehow like a secret millionaire that they've managed to do from being rafting guides all over the world. So. Oh, man. And I love being on the river. So I think that would be my, that, that's what I'd go for. Yeah. The rafting guides are always like rock stars, right? Like <laughs> it's funny. Um, national parks. Are you living in the park or are you typically outside of the park? You're typically in the park. Um, and it, it is just an amazing experience. Um, you know, I, the national parks, especially in peak summer season, they get busy. So, I mean, it's just, the work is very busy. It's just a mad rush every day. Um, but it's, I don't know, part of that is it's also a rush. Like it's exciting. Like people have come from all over the world to come see this place and spend a week in this place and you're living there for six months. So you don't just get that one week experience that everyone else is getting. Like, you know, we, I could get off of work and ride my bike to one of the most famous trailheads in the country that people had been planning for years to come do this hike. Um, you really get to see the entire thing and you get to see it when there's snow on the ground, you get to see it when the leaves are changing, like you get that entire full season experience and it's, it's really magical. Just switching gears a little bit, because this is fascinating to me that you guys have lived this, you know, sort of seasonal lifestyle and obviously clearly both love the outdoors. And I can relate to that because I've, I've, came from a similar background and you'll see what I mean in a minute, but I worked a lot of contract jobs and then I was on the road for a while. Anyway, I started getting into this location independent business type stuff. Now you guys have bought Coolworks from the former owner, which I, I actually have had the pleasure of having on the show back in, I think it was like episode 58 or something. I don't know. It, it's been a while and, and he's such a great guy and, and it was just a pleasure to have him on. Um, but you guys have taken over Coolworks and now you're, I imagine you're in front of the computer a lot more than you were before. <laughs> and like, it's a totally different lifestyle. So how did the buying the business thing go down? Like when did that happen? And then we can get into how the lifestyle change has been for you guys. So that process took place throughout a good portion of 2016. Um, Bill Berg, former owner. And also, founder. And founder, yeah. Important. The, we, the granddaddy or the daddy of Coolworks. Man, he made it all happen. <laughs> yeah, so he'd started in 1995. And um, yeah, he'd let the team know that he was he was ready to move on to different ventures and was interested in, you know, entertaining offers. And so we we just, we put our brain together and went through that whole process, made him an offer. And we, we took over officially January 1st of 2017. So we're going into our second year of it right now. Um, we had both been working for Coolworks previously, Kelsey for longer than I had, she had been with me about three years at the time. And I had only been with the company for six or seven months. Um, so the, the lifestyle was already, um, uh, something that we're kind of used to you know, working from home, working remotely. And, you know, it's something that we both really actively wanted. I had been working down in the city of Denver for a couple of years, um, doing a commute, you know, one hour commute every day, uh, well, two hours round trip. So that's, you know, that adds up over time. And I, we both kind of really put all of our focus and energy on, let's both try and find a way to work remotely, work from home. Like, I don't know how that's going to pan out or what it's going to, how it's going to look, but you know, we really both wanted that, um, just to continue to have that sort of location independence. Um, and it's, it's not without its challenges. It's, it's something that we both love and we both acknowledge that I don't know how it would be possible to go back 
to like having to show up at an office every day. Like right. that would be just crushing for, I don't Unless know how your office was in front of the Tetons, you know, or whatever. Like right. you yeah, used yeah. to do. That's, yeah. that's probably what I do. I'd go back to, I'd go ask my old job back. <laughs> 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 but it's, uh, it's not, it is, it is absolutely a wonderful thing, but it's not without its challenges. Um, you know, one of the things we notice is that it's, it's very hard to not pick up work any time of day, all day long. Like you can work from the moment you get up until seven o'clock at night. It's really hard to break away because it's always there. Um, so you kind of have to like create your own boundaries. You have these built in boundaries with a traditional job and that, and that you have a schedule and you have a location where you show up and typically you don't take your work tools with you. Um, so you have to kind of create your own boundaries to maintain the work life balance. But at the same time, like we take big road trips every summer and bring our laptops with us and work from wherever we are. And it's, it's pretty, it's pretty liberating and wonderful to be able to do that. Well, how do you create your boundaries? What do you do? We're terrible at it. Yeah. You tell us. (laughs) (laughs) You have any good ideas? Uh, It's tough. You know, there are certain times when it's work uh, for sure, where you're like, ah, you know, I have to answer all these emails or whatever. But then when it's blending with I guess I'm technically working right now and so are you guys, but I'm, I hope you're having as much fun as I am. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I, I was just curious to talk to you guys about that because I, you know, to be out more in nature and to be more sort of in the real world and then go into like a very computer centric position is challenging. I mean, there are so many pros, but also I think like, let's just be honest about the cons. It's not a totally healthy you know, at least I'm speaking for myself. I've got a beautiful standing desk out there and I don't take enough use of it as I should. Like it's hard to, I, for us, like have a balanced eating outdoor, you know, all of those sorts of routines that you would just normally have from having a more traditional job or even, um, having a job as opposed to, I think a big part of the shift that's been hard for us is transitioning to being owners because then it's even harder to tap the brakes and put those boundaries in place then we we don't do we are pretty bad at it we have a list on our um, refrigerator about screen rules and when they have to be off and on and like to try and create some personal space and life space and how we should take a walk every day and I mean maybe we hit all of those like once every couple of weeks <laughs> when it's daily. Yeah. It's hard. And then you guys Especially, also, you're a couple and you're living together and you own the company together and everything. So that's, that's, that can be tough. Yeah. It gets, it gets complicated. Yeah. It's been a, yeah, it's been a growing experience for sure. I think the first year was hard. The second year feels a lot better already. So that's exciting. And like you said, when you get to do something that you're passionate about and you're excited about, yeah, maybe I generally work like 10 or more hours a day, but I'm so excited to get to be doing what I'm doing that it makes you want to get out of bed in the morning and just need to be more mindful about providing balance so you can stay healthy. Yeah, for sure. Well, I guess before we let you go, I just wanted to hear, I guess like a little story from one of your seasonal jobs that kind of stands out as a moment where you're like, Oh, this is all so worth it. I love what I'm doing here. Is there a moment that jumps to mind that you could share? I'll go first. All right. I was working at a cafe in, um, Fox Glacier, New Zealand on the Southern Island. And I 
this cafe was busy, you bust your butt, you know, I was out there busting tables and wiping down tables. And my boss walked up to me and said, um, give me that tray. And in 10 minutes, you're going to go on that helicopter. <laughs> and I was like, you know, like busting tables and wearing my Crocs and a t-shirt um, and black yoga pants. And I just got put on this helicopter and flown around Mount Cook and landed and got out and walked around on the Neve Glacier. And that was just in the middle of a cafe busing shift. Wow. Absolutely Sweet. incredible. <laughs> yeah. They want to get you out there to experience those things so that you can then talk to the next person you make coffee for about it. So a lot of times those outfitters and those flight scene places will get you out there, take you rafting, take you and put you on the glacier, get you on the horseback riding trip. And that sort of stuff is pretty amazing. Yeah. Nice. Well, I don't know if I can pin down one. Like the whole the whole experience has just been completely life changing for me. I mean, backcountry skiing and Grand Teton National Park and hiking in Yellowstone and just all of it gives me goosebumps to think about it. Um, you, you said something earlier, I think we were just talking about going from a $9 an hour job to now we own Coolworks and look at what can happen with something like that. And we pinch ourselves all the time because it's just been kind of a ludicrous journey. But thinking back on it, every every segment of it has been amazing. You know, if it had just been that one summer for me, it would have been the best summer of my life. If I had stayed at that lodge in the Tetons where I work and was still doing that today, it would still be the best job and the best experience that I could ever have asked for. So every step of it has been amazing, but yeah, anything, anything can come out of it, but even the shortest little bit that you get out of it is going to be worthwhile. Like every, everything's just been beyond what I ever thought it was going to be. I love it. Well, I truly appreciate your time and you guys sharing your um, wealth of knowledge and wisdom around seasonal work with us. And I mean, like I said in the beginning of the episode, I was warning you if you're, you might want to, I don't know where you are when this is hitting your ears, but if you're looking into doing some seasonal work or something like this, or any of this is resonating with you, uh, definitely encourage you to check out coolworks.com. As you can hear, Matt and Kelsey are the real deal. I mean, they've done it. They've lived it. And now they're they're running the company and helping more people do it. I just love the enthusiasm, and it's been really a, a great pleasure to get to know you guys. Hope we can cross paths here soon, and look forward to staying in touch. Thanks again for your time. Thank you, you Jason. Jason. Come Colorado, and we'll go camping. <laughs> Sounds great. I'm in. <laughs> All right. All right. Cheers. There you have it, my friend. I want to thank Matt and Kelsey for stopping by the show. Loved chatting with them. It's always fun interviewing a couple, hearing their story and how they met and how their life of travel evolved and what it turned into and what they're doing now. And you just never know where things will go. You just never know when things will go when you go, right? When you go, when you go somewhere, where is it going to go? We don't know. This is starting to sound like a Dr. Seuss book. I didn't <laughs> intend for that, but we don't know where things will go when we go. And that's why it's important to go if we feel that that's the thing we need to do. And we know our lives will never be the same. And that's true for whatever we choose, right? So we might as well choose something 
we love. Thanks for sharing your story, Matt and Kelsey. And check out coolworks.com if you're into the seasonal work thing or you just want to explore and see what they have and, and maybe do a little wanderlusting or some daydreaming. Can't hurt. Can't hurt. Never does. Okay, a couple things before I let you go. I have a quote at the end of the show that I want to share. And I've got this story I want to share about this musician that I heard the other day. First, I want to thank Pimsler for supporting today's show, the Pimsler Language Learning Audio Courses. ZeroToTravel.com slash easy is the link you're going to want to hit up to find the best way to learn a language on the go. You got to check them out. I got hooked on Pimsler a long time ago. I was a paying customer. That's why I was thrilled to partner with them on the podcast because, hey, I've already bought your product. I already use this. I already love it. Yes, I'm happy to recommend it to people listening to this show because it's such a great way to learn a language and it gets you speaking right away. And my experience learning Norwegian and being based in Norway and now going out and getting to have conversations in Norwegian, they might not be the best conversations in the world, at least for the person listening to me, but I can have regular conversations now. It's incredible. And that all started with Pimsleur and I've taken other language courses and I use other tools to keep up with the language and of course, practicing and speaking. But I started with Pimsleur. It's such a great way to start because you do speak right away and you can learn on the go. And before I came to Norway, it's exactly what I did. I bought some Pimsleur courses, hopped in my car, drove across country and listened on my way crossing the country and was speaking and getting some words down before I even came here, which was an incredible experience. And it really opened up things right away, especially Norwegians seem very impressed when you know a few words in Norwegian. <laughs> a lot of people don't take the effort to learn when they come here because they know well, everybody speaks English so great. I don't really have to put in any effort. But when you use words in somebody's native tongue, they appreciate that effort and it opens doors that might not have otherwise been opened, literally and figuratively. So before your next trip, check out a Pimsleur course, zerototravel.com slash easy. You can get access to a free trial to their monthly subscription service if you're based in the States or if you're out of the States you can get a free lesson. And if you want to buy lessons or stay with that monthly subscription, you'll also be supporting this show if you go through that link. So I really appreciate that. Thanks for checking them out. And thanks to Pimsleur for, again, supporting today's show. Now, the story I heard the other day, I was listening to a podcast called Sound Opinions, which is a show where they review different albums and they have different music-related topics on. And they had Margot Price on, who is a you could call her, she calls herself actually in the interview. I, I couldn't really think of the genre of her. I guess it's country, but it's sort of that throwback to outlaw country, Willie Nelson and Merle Haggard and those types of country artists. But there's also folk and blues and it's just a combination of things. And she, she ended up calling the movement she's part of outlaw Americana, which was the best description I heard of it. Anyway, Either way, she writes beautiful songs, and I really enjoy her music, and she shared a story about her, quote, 13 years of overnight success, is what she likes to call it, because they struggled for so many years in Nashville trying to get a record deal and to break through, essentially, and there was a point where she was going to pawn her instruments and just give up everything. They needed money. Her husband told a story about selling their car to get more money. And he really believed in their music and what she was doing. 
But she didn't. She was at this point where she got really low and she was almost ready to sell everything and quit. And somebody, I can't remember the name of the person, but they must have been somebody important in the music industry, uh, said something along the lines of, hey, do not give up. You've got it. Whatever it is, you have it. You have to keep going. And she said that got her through at least another six months. Just those words from that one person got her through the next six months of her life to keep doing this as they were, again, trying to struggle and make it and playing in empty venues and all of this stuff that, you know, we it's so easy to see success and think, well, that just happened and they just have that gift, but everybody works for these things. And I just thought it was a beautiful thing that a person could say a few words to another person and that would be fuel for them to keep going, keep pursuing their dreams. And I just wanted to bring up the story because it's important to remember that our words do matter. And if you are chasing travel dreams or other dreams and you're not around other people that are doing it, then get around other people that can support you and provide those words of encouragement. And do not underestimate your ability to make an impact on others and to offer them words of encouragement for the things that they're going for and some validation. Even though we all shouldn't look for external validation and we should go within for that, it's nice to hear from other people that you have support and that you have somebody in your life who has your back and isn't judging you and believes in you. That's a cool thing. And I wanted to leave you with this quote that ties in with all this. It's from Unknown. What a weird name. Unknown. That that person really has said a lot of wise things. No, I couldn't find who this quote was attributed to, and I looked all over the internet, but it says unknown, so I'll share it. And if you said it, then you are a wise person, my friend. Okay. The quote is, a word of encouragement during a failure is worth more than an hour of praise after success. That wraps up another episode. Thanks for being a part of the Zero to Travel Caravan, this listening community. You beautiful person, you. Thanks for spending your time with me. You have a lot of things you could be doing, but you're here. You're hanging out. You're listening to this show. If you're new, again, welcome. Feel free to subscribe. And I really appreciate your presence here. This is your show. This is a community-powered show. This platform is for you. I happen to host it, but I make the show for you. If you have any feedback you want to give me or guests you want me to have on or anything, you can reach out anytime. My email is jason at zero to travel.com. Hit me up anytime. I'd love to hear from you. Thanks again for listening and I'll see you next week. Cheers. This podcast has been brought to you by zero to travel.com. Ideas and advice to make your travel dreams a reality.